You're on Sunday night on ABC Radio, on Radio Australia and via the web to the world. John Cleary with you, our guest now from the United States, Tom Roberts, editor-at-large for the National Catholic Reporter. Tom Roberts, good to have you back with us. It's always a pleasure to be here, John. Uh, Tom, there's a, a, a sort of international little festive air, I guess, in the breeze. Mother Teresa of Calcutta uh, canonised uh, later today in, uh, in Rome. Yes, this is a canonization that everybody across the spectrum can cheer. Some people like to see her as somebody who found a ministry in the slums of Calcutta, and that was it. I think that certainly is part of it. But she's never associated publicly with renewal of religious life or a different direction. But, you know, she was a member of an order that was fairly traditional. They had an order in India... And she just found that there was a need that they were not addressing. They were teaching kids, you know, teaching children. And she sought permission to go off on her own to wear the garb of that culture and to just minister to the people who needed it most, the most destitute in the street. I find it remarkable because in the end she's, seen as a symbol both of obedience, but she also was feisty in her own way, and certainly an image of solidarity with the poor and the dispossessed, and a symbol of mercy. I just think that she transcends most of our divisions in this church today. There was some criticism of her. Um, she was taken up by people like Malcolm Muggeridge, famously, and others, but uh, some, like Christopher Hitchens, uh, criticised her for, yes, ministering to the poor, but treating the poor as though one needed to do little but alleviate their suffering. As to the causes of that suffering, she was criticised as being indifferent to the questions of what caused their suffering. She was not so much concerned with the issues of wider social justice and political change. Pardon me for just dismissing Christopher Hitchens' criticism of Mother Teresa. Um, rather incredible. But I understand that critique. In the world of the gospel lived, in the Christian world, in the Catholic world, we have people at different parts <laughs> of the ministry doing different kinds of things. And the prophets who are pushing the edges and asking the questions why people are hungry and destitute and looking at those social structures are absolutely essential and necessary. But so are the people who are saying, my life is going to be lived caring for the people who are part of the system. And if they don't ask those questions, I'm not going to fault them. If they live the kind of life of integrity that, that Mother Teresa and increasingly her order live. Well, let's turn from public celebration to a little bit of sort of behind-the-scenes bureaucracy and bureaucratic moves in Rome. The Pope has been consistent in moving the Church attitudinally. Not many moves doctrinally, but there are attitudinal moves and also bureaucratic moves. Uh, I understand he's pushed a little further on the environment this week. He has. In a message for a World Day of Prayer for the Care of Creation, he asked the Church to add care for our common home to the traditional works of mercy lined out in the Gospels, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. It's a stunning continuation of Laudato Si and his concern for the environment and for Earth. Uh, And he attaches humans to the Earth in a way that doesn't allow us to say this is somebody else's problem or it's not religion's problem. 
Human beings are deeply connected with all the creation, and when we mistreat nature, we also mistreat human beings, he said. It's a very powerful statement. He is consistently sort of amplifying those areas which he has marked out, and he's also doing this by a number of changes to personnel um, in the last week announced as well. Yes. One of the most significant ones, I think, is the appointment of Bishop Kevin Farrell of uh, Dallas, Texas, to head a new Vatican Department for Laity, Family, and Life. It's significant for a number of reasons. First of all, that there's a new Department for Laity, Family, and Life that a lot of people think will eventually become one of the Vatican offices, uh, part of the dicastery. But it's also significant in other ways that, that get into the weeds, but I think are interesting. First, he's a U.S. bishop. He's part of the U.S. Church. So Francis is saying we trust the U.S. Church, and especially someone who is known to be a real pastor. He's a Francis bishop. He's known in Dallas for crossing the kind of boundaries and talk. And he's not a culture warrior. He will talk with people that he disagrees with and find some way to find common ground and have those kinds of conversations. So there's a second part to this, and that is that that he is not only from the U.S. Church, but the significance of that is that this is a rebuff of the U.S. bishops of choice to lead the initiative on Amoris Laetitia, the encyclical on marriage that sort of undergirds this new office. They chose Archbishop Shapiro of Philadelphia, who has been at odds with the tone of Francis' papacy, at least, and some of the intent of the teaching, and he released his own document for his diocese, one way to describe it without overstating it is mercy was pretty well gone. <laughs> and and so was this kind of pastoral approach. He gave a nod or two to the Pope, but largely stuck to the law and and essentially said to people who were in difficult circumstances or maybe a little outside the law or those who were in unusual circumstances in terms of relationship to that, you just have to face up to the fact that it's simple, and I mean, the conversation stops there. There's very little pastoral accompaniment. So for Francis to reach into the United States and pull up somebody who has really supported this teaching and the Francis approach to, the more pastoral approach to leading the community, I think it's a very, very significant. It's another one of those messages he sent. Yeah, yeah. And this has happened also um, with regards to human development and Cardinal Turkson, I understand. Right. There's another Vatican office that I think will become increasingly important. And the appointment to Turkson and the creation of another Vatican office for charity, justice, peace, and migration, again, plays on two themes, especially that Francis has emphasized, and that is the peace and migration. It's expected that he may focus more on an encyclical and we've urged that it even be the topic of the next synod on peace. How do you approach peace in this new era, in the post-bipolar world, in a world where there's both terrorism and an increasing amount of those conventional weapons that can you know, blow up the globe? Where does the Christian community come down on all of that stuff? And then migration, and he has, I mean, he has just continued to focus on that, and a lot of Catholics who want to see the Church emphasize those kinds of issues, and that Francis has put an emphasis on, I think they're glad to see a global office that will be responsible for 
not only responding to those things, but lining out the church's position on those things. It's an amazingly rapid realignment when you consider what the Pope is doing is adjusting the church to face the issues of the world without actually ruffling any feathers in the doctrinal area. Our cartoonist, Pat Marin, just published one, I think, today or yesterday. He he does a weekly cartoon of Francis, and he has Francis walking past a row of portraits of his predecessors, and the thought bubble is, what can one pope do? And he's walking past John 23rd, who has this smile on his face, and Francis sort of looks up at him and walks past him in the thought bubble. The next thought bubble is a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, he's taking his lead from that strain in the community uh, that was lost for 30 years, or not lost, but, but submerged. And I think this is part of the you know the pendulum swing, and I don't mean to be too sanguine about it because I think in the thirty years of trying to retrench and bring things in within borders and stuff, a lot of people were hurt, and a lot of people would say, "Well, he's loosening things up too much, and people are going to get you know kind of crazy." And maybe that's the case. But what he's opened up is an enormous amount of space for thinking and for initiative and for activity and creativity, and some of that's going to be off the mark. But I think a lot of it is going to be really good because he's inspiring people to think about the heart of the gospel, which is, you know, the poor and the people on the, on the edges. And, you know, his instructions recently to seminarians and to pre-straining seminarians, telling their people aren't perfect. Uh, you know, and, and he's constantly talking about backing off all the requirements of the law and the whole theme of accompaniment. It's never going to get tired because... People in the pews, as I've experienced them, are just saying, he gets it, he's listening to it. He understands that when he talks to the priest about seven millions, make sure they know that nobody's life is perfect, that the prisoners aren't going to be coming out of a mold, you know? And that's so important, and it's what we've been missing. I think that's the part of Vatican II that is a continuation in real time and in real issues beyond the theory that we're beginning to get now. And he's just relentlessly authentic, I think. For all the things you might say he's missing and issues that he may not be addressing, the ones he is addressing are really significant. He's very powerful at getting his point across. Tom Roberts of the National Catholic Reporter. This has been a podcast of Sunday Nights on ABC Local Radio. Thank you for listening.